0: Let's pray before we start. Father, this is your word and we're your people. And with all the excitement, all the things going on this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would move tonight. We pray for VBS. We pray that not just children, but workers and parents would come to know you for the first time. And we pray now this morning. Um, that the music, that the fellowship, that it would matter, that you would use it to impact hearts and minds. And now, would you use your word to bring new life to your people? For it's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. And while you're turning there, I guess a little introduction is due. Uh, My name is Ryan Matherly, for those of you who are new or just started visiting, I'm the youth and college pastor here at Pleasant Valley North. Uh, Our senior pastor, Mac McCurry, is here this morning, so no pressure, Uh, and he and his family have come back from vacation this week, but he didn't want to spend his vacation time planning a sermon, and I don't blame him, Uh, so he has graciously given me the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning, Uh, and I hope that in our time together we would learn some new things about John 11. But more than that, I sincerely hope and pray that we would see Jesus. Um, Now, that's our goal every Sunday, obviously. But seeing Jesus is especially important with this text because you may have noticed that John 11 is the story of Lazarus. Uh, In fact, my Bible right here calls this section the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And that's true. Um, There's nothing wrong with that title. But it's important to remember that the story is not primarily about Lazarus. Lazarus' name is mentioned seven times in this text, while Jesus' name is mentioned 20 times. While Lazarus is dead in this text, Jesus shows total control over the situation. Jesus is the supreme comforter in this situation. And finally, Jesus displays himself as the one with power over death. It's important to remember, Lazarus doesn't come back to life. He is brought back to life by Jesus. Lazarus' only contribution to this story is that he's the one who dies. And this is what's so cool about the Bible. Because let me ask you right off the bat, is that not the gospel already? You and I will die physically. But before we die, we commit sins And sin is what happens when we value things more than God, when we deviate from God's plan for us. Another way to define sin is this. Sin is death in our lives before our bodies give out. Sin is death in our lives before our bodies give out. Uh, Some of you may know a name, uh, Bill Buckner a guy named Bill Buckner who played for the Boston Red Sox. He finished his career uh, with a 289 batting average and 2,715 hits. Most people would, by, by most stretches of the imagination, that's an excellent career in pro baseball. But nobody in this room remembers Bill Buckner for his batting average. Buckner is known for game six of the 1986 World Series, where With victory literally in his grasp in the 10th inning, a ground ball coming to first base went right through his legs. And this allowed the New York Mets to score the game-winning run of Game 6, beating Buckner and the Red Sox. The Mets then went on to win Game 7 and the World Series. And even if you don't know this guy, you know him. Because clips of Buckner's error have played over and over for over 30 years. He is defined by this failure, and no matter what stats he gets, he cannot escape the shadow of this major event, and we as humans, like Lazarus, no matter what we do, cannot escape the shadow of death. In Genesis chapter 5, Moses, the author, outlines the genealogy or the family history leading from Adam to Noah. And I won't read them all, but listen to how Moses ends each section here. Genesis 5, verse 5 So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Verse 8 So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11, so all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Lastly, verse 20, so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Why end every section like that? I don't know if, that there's another genealogy in all of Scripture that ends that way. And he died, and he died, and he died. Moses is showing that after man's failure in the Garden of Eden, the common thread in our existence is now death. It holds sway over everything. It's in the back of all our minds. And you know this. Paul, speaking of his sin in Romans 7, says what? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because of our sin, we are powerless against death, not just physically, but spiritually as well. But Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 2, while we were dead in our sins, Christ brought us to life. And while Lazarus was dead, Christ brought him to life. You see, the gospel is all over this text, and we haven't even started yet. So let's do that. Let's take a closer look. John chapter 11, and we're going to hop around just a little bit, and then we'll dig in. So John 11, we're going to go verses 6 and 7 first. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he already was. Then after this, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Go down to verse 14 and 15. So Jesus said to the To the disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But now let us go to him. And lastly, 17 to 18, so when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Here's the first thing, and it's the first thing we notice. Here's the first thing that we need to follow here. Jesus lets Lazarus die. Just let the comfort of that wash over you, right? Jesus lets Lazarus die. Look back at verse 6. So when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So he doesn't go to him. Look at verse 15. Jesus said, "Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe." Jesus wasn't delayed, as if something could de- as if anything could delay him. He made it all. No, Christ chose to stay. Christ chose to let death take his friend. Here's why that's important. Death is something you cannot get out of. Most recent scientific study shows that 10 out of every 10 people die. Can you believe it? Lazarus could not get out of this. There is no way for him to get out of this situation. And Jesus, staying behind, intentionally waiting for this to happen, shows us that this was part of God's plan. Let me ask you something. What situation are you in right now that you can't get out of? New job? No job. Sickness and disease. Is it that, that horrible limbo, that anxiety of waiting for a diagnosis? Is it a child who's not a believer? Is it a parent who's, is, it, is it parents whose marriage is on the edge? What's the situation that you cannot seem to escape? Whatever your situation, what if I told you that just like with Lazarus, Christ is all over these events and he is waiting, working, and watching in ways that you cannot even imagine? And for some of you, this might make you a little angry, and I get that, and we'll talk about that in a second. But for some of you, I wonder if this will come as a little bit of a relief because, frankly, you've been wondering where has God gone? Where is he in all of this? Just like with Lazarus, he is over every detail of your situation and he is focused on you. Just like with Lazarus, he is over it all. And just like with Lazarus, follow me, just like with Lazarus, nothing will ever happen to you outside of his explicit knowledge and will. Nothing will ever happen to you outside of God's explicit knowledge and will. Take comfort in knowing. Here's why we talk about this. Here's why Jesus letting Lazarus die is good news. Take comfort in knowing that God's not sweating it up there. He's not wringing his hands trying to figure out your cancer. He's not wringing his hands as Alzheimer's gets worse. He's not trying to figure out what to do next in your life. Just like with Lazarus, he knows that he is focused on you. We don't have time to turn there, but if you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do here or in the hall I recommend that you write down in the margin Job chapter one, verse 12, and Job two verse six. Job is an amazing book, especially these first two chapters before things really get rolling. In the throne room of God. Job 1.12 and Job 2.6. Listen, this is God speaking to Satan about Job's suffering. Job 1.12. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that Job has is in your power. Only do not put your hand on him. And then Job 2.6. God said, Behold... Job is in your power. Only spare his life. If I had time, I would show you how in Job, and you can find this on your own, and I encourage you to do so. But if I had time, I would show you how in Job 1 and 2, if you notice, Satan doesn't even speak first. Do you know why? He can't in God's presence. God must acknowledge him before Satan is even allowed to open his mouth. Not just to act towards Job. Open his mouth. God must acknowledge first. God must move first. And in both those texts that I just read, God is the one ordaining how far Satan is allowed to go. And Satan never breaks these boundaries that God has set in the book of Job. Satan is practically on a leash in God's presence. According to Job, there is no great battle of good versus evil in God's throne room. We think that. We think it's game seven in eternity and good and evil are warring. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is in total control. Total control of the situation. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, died at 57 years old. And before he died, he suffered from debilitating gout, public ridicule and slander, recurring depression, family illness and tragedy. Listen to what Spurgeon wrote about God being over his suffering. Listen to this. It brings me great comfort in suffering to know that my bitter cup was filled by God's loving hand. That means it was measured with care by Him. It brings me great comfort in my suffering, in my suffering, to know that my bitter cup was filled by God's loving hand. Why? Because that means that it was measured with care by Him. Christ waiting on Lazarus to die, it was part of his plan. He is not sweating it. He is not caught off guard. And listen, if death can't take Christ by surprise, then your suffering hasn't either. He has not abandoned you. And he could just leave us with that, and that would be enough. I'm over it. I'm in it. That should be enough. But he doesn't. Like James chapter 4 says, he gives more grace. Not only does God have a plan in our suffering, but he comforts us in it as well. Look at John 11 verse 32. John 11 verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And Jesus said, Where have you laid him? Then they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. Let me ask you a second question. Jesus is about to bring Lazarus back from the dead. That's why he's traveled. That's why he's there. To bring Lazarus back from the dead. So why would he stop and weep with Mary? Because he's perfect. Because he knows better than anyone that glorious plans in a fallen world can still be painful. Glorious plans in a fallen world can still be painful. And he knows that. Look at the cross. It's the greatest plan ever. And it involved more pain than you or I will ever go through. Jesus knows better than anybody that pain can come and the plan can still be good. Listen to me, those of you who are suffering and can't see a way out. Jesus weeping with Mary at Lazarus' death is his way of showing us there are things in this life that we will not get out of. And he knows that and he'll be there. Jesus weeping with Mary at Lazarus' death is his way of showing us there are things in this life that we will not get out of. And he knows that and he'll be there. Lazarus cannot get out of death. And you may not be able to get out of your situation, and he knows that, and he'll be with you in it. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named Steve Brown. I highly recommend this guy. Steve has a friend who has Alzheimer's, and Steve tells this story about the friend with Alzheimer's was in his quiet time one morning, and the man prayed, Lord, I feel like I'm slipping into a fog And there's nothing I can do. And through the Bible, he heard Jesus say, I know. And I'll go with you. I know. And I'll go with you. It's part of life to know that there will be pain. But it is also part of life to know That God is in control over it and is with you in it. It's part of life to know there will be pain. But it is also part of life to know that God is in control over it and he's with you in it. He is over it all. The Bible is clear here. And yet in his sovereignty, in his glorious purpose, he stops and weeps with Mary. Jesus is telling Mary, and he is telling us, my plans are much bigger than yours, but I'm never going to leave you in them. Jesus is telling us in those times where we say, I can't hold on anymore. Jesus says, yes, you can. Not because you're so awesome, but you can still hold on because I'm still holding on to you. Don't look to your circumstances. Look to me. Get off the internet. Turn off the TV and look to me. Finally, not only does Jesus let Lazarus die, not only does Jesus weep with Mary, Jesus brings Lazarus back. John chapter 11, verse 43. When Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man, this is amazing, the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Let me say something to those of you who witnessed to. And pray for those who don't know the Lord. Those who are spiritually dead. In your small group, in your family, in your friend group, who you work with, God can bring the dead to life. He's been doing it for thousands of years and he'll be doing it long after we're gone. One day you hear a sermon or a song or a friend tells you the truth about Jesus or you look back into your Bible and through the words of that friend, through that song, through your words to someone else, Jesus speaks. Come forth. And in an instant the soul changes. God can bring the dead to life. If you are not a Christian, death is your legacy you can build all the hospitals you want you can donate all the money you want you can volunteer at church all you want but death will be what you're known for just like Lazarus but Jesus says come forth worship me You remember the story in Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? God sends Philip to the open road to witness to someone. God drops Philip on 75 South and says, He's mine, go get him. While he's traveling, do you know what that text teaches me? It can happen at any time. Come forth, come to life. It's happening all over the world right now. Christ is saying to his people, Come forth. And he's saying it here. You know the hymn, Help me. You know, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling Come forth, worship me. I gave my life so that yours would never end. Now come, die to yourself and truly live. Let's pray.